I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. For so long, thank you for your worship. Real quick, um, I do have a, a prayer request. I, I don't, I'm sorry I wasn't in here, Brother Krause. If you already prayed for Jacob Gilrus. Brother, did you? Okay. Uh, Kennedy Gunderman, her name now is Gilriff. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Jacob, her husband's brother, was 21 years old, passed away yesterday. I pray the Lord to give them comfort. They said he had been sick, and so it was expected, but it wasn't expected. So I want to pray for that family. Uplifting the hands, let's pray the Lord's peace on Jacob's family right now. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your passion, your compassion for your people. Lord, I pray that you would touch Brother Jacob's family right now. Lord, we're asking you to bring them peace. Give them rest. Give them peace that passeth all understanding. Lord, we love you. We know that you're able to do this. We give you honor and we give you praise in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before I dismiss, let me reiterate that this coming weekend, we don't have a ton of people come, a ton of revivals. I may have speakers. We have most of the time just a, it's a one day, Sunday morning, Sunday night, sometimes just Sunday night. But it's, uh, And I'm going to do more of this, but uh, bringing people in and having church, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and Brother Winters, Mark Winters, is no stranger to this church, and I absolutely love Brother Mark Winters. Just He's just got a dynamic ministry. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard him finish a message. Just people, people respond to his preaching, and uh, I'm asking everybody that physically can to come. It's going to be live streamed, but uh, it's going to be better if you come. And uh, it does cost to bring people in. It costs quite a bit to bring people in. So I'm asking you um, to to come. And I, I know that you probably have things in your schedule to do, but if you physically can at all, please come and expect the Lord to do great things. Amen. All the classes that need to be dismissed, you can be dismissed. Thank you for being in here. Thank you for worshiping with us. It's good to see everybody here this morning. It's good to have all of our guests in here today. Thank you for being here. Amen. Amen. I've been back. Uh, some some of y'all probably wasn't here uh, last week, but uh, I've been back for uh a little over a week now, I'm finally trying to adjust, getting my sleep. I'm not the best sleeper in the world, but I'm so high strung, and I wake up at night anyway. But here lately, coming back 15 hours uh, in Australia, we was ahead, and then I came back, and I really, really had problems, still having some issues sleeping. And uh, But I'm glad to be back. We got the best church in the world. Amen. I still believe that. Still believe we have the best church in the world. And I'm so glad to get back to it. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Peter. We're going to go to the second 
Second uh, Peter three and eighteen. Then we're going to go. For, I know we're. I'm jumping around. First Peter two one through five, and then Second Peter again one four through eight. I know that's skipping around. If you don't feel like uh, looking for all that, it's right behind me. Yes, it is. Sometimes it isn't, but today it is. Today it is. I uh, I know that. Uh, I'm convinced that you can, you can be anything that you want to be in God. And um, I believe that becoming what you want to be and fulfilling the call, I do understand that there are going to be things in your life that's going to try to stop you. A lot of times we blame those things on the enemy. But many times it's God allowing us to go through trials and tribulations uh, to make us stronger. Let's face it. David would have never killed Goliath if he wouldn't have had a bear and a lion in his past. The, bear, the, the feet of the bear and the lion is what caused him to have the faith to face Goliath. He spoke that. He gave a testimony to Saul. Saul said, you can't go. You're too young. You're inexperienced. You've never been on a battlefield and you think that you're going to go down. And he said, yeah, but you don't understand. God's already let me have these victories. And sometimes uh, we despise the battle. We despise the, uh, the, the things that we have to go through. But many times it's God allowing us to go through things to make us stronger. It's the opposition. That's why the Bible says that, uh, that he sent us sheep. As sheep amongst the wolves, he understood that there was going to be opposition. And there's going to be growing pains. And I'm thankful for those growing pains. I don't like them when I'm in the middle of it. Brother Davis, I hate it. I don't like it. But after it's said and done, I'm thankful for the storms that I've faced. Because I look back and I realize that he was with me. Second Peter 3 and 18 says, but grow in grace. He commanded us to grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or Christ, yeah, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. First Peter 2, 1 through 5. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Hmm. That's actually, he's talking to babies in the Lord right there. Sad, we got, we've got veterans in Christ that hasn't learned that. It's, it's sad to see people that, are, that have been in church for years that haven't got past the first step of being a Christian. I'll, I'll go on because I may get pretty tough this morning, but I'm going to do it with love. He said, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so, be ye have tested that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also are as lively stones are built up in spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ, Second Peter 1, 4 through 8, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. 
But those promises, they're hinged by, by and determined whether we obey the Scripture. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through us. And beside this, giving all diligence, adding to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for standing so long. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I want to talk to you just for a while on reaching our potential. How many of you have ever reached your potential? How many would you claim to say that you have reached your potential? There's never going to be a time in your life I don't care if you live to your 120, that you've ever arrived. There's never going to be a time where you, where you have arrived. That's why Paul, the greatest preacher that's ever preached this gospel besides Jesus, said, I, I press towards the mark of the high calling. There was always an extension. He was always going forward. He was always moving forward. He was never going back. He never put any any stock in his past. He was always going forward, looking to be better, looking to act better, looking to speak better, looking to live better. There are, are certain plot lines that are continually recycled in popular literature. And one of those plots involves an impoverished individual or family who inherits or otherwise acquires Great wealth. I have read story after story of men and women, whether they receive a large inheritance or they win the lottery. And most of the time, people that get rich quick end up being poor quick because they don't understand how to handle their finances. It's a culture shock to them. You see it all the time. You read news articles and articles and, and magazines where people... All of a sudden, they win the lottery. It sounds great. Win an $80 million Powerball. I probably, I'll never get to win that because I don't play it. But it would be nice to find that winning ticket. But there's a lot of people that, that immediately receive that great wealth. And before long, they find themselves poorer. Is that a word? Poorer? More poor than they were before they won that lottery or before they receive the inheritance, it's because they, in their in their physical body, they may be rich, but in their minds, they can't accept or can't escape the reality of poor being poor. They're not used to being rich, and uh, some Christians live with that similar mindset, although they become wealthy through the riches of God's grace. They continue to live as they did before they became Christians. And I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but we see that in the lives of the people of God when they come out of Egypt. 400 plus years. They were used to living with the fact they had people telling them when to get up, when to go to bed, what to eat, when to work, and work themselves to death. 
and 400 years, all they knew was slavery. God delivers them out of Egypt, out of bondage, and they are in the middle of the wilderness. And although they were set free by the enemy, God had made every, uh, gave them every opportunity. As a matter of fact, when he delivered them, he made sure they saw the salvation of the Lord. He, that's why he told them to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, because he understood that by nature they would, that men and women forget what God does for them. So he said, look, I want you to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I know this is a scary time for you. I know you think that they're going to, that they are, may possibly drag you back in Egypt, but what I'm getting ready to do, I want you to put this in your hearts and minds. So he made them stop. Stop running. And I want you to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, because if you don't succeed in the future, you can't blame your past or what held you in your past. And that tells me it's types and shadows. If Egypt is a type of bondage, and it is a type and shadow of bondage, and um, and the the Red Sea was a type and shadow of baptism. They went through the water, and their the armies of uh, of of bondage were drowned behind them. Those were types and shadows of their sins and failures in the past, and what kept them. That that was a type and shadow of of our salvation. And God said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And if you're kept from your Canaan in the future, you can't point back to your bondage and blame anybody. And if you fail to grow in your future, you can't blame anybody. And it's a sad thing. I see people come into church and say, well, I've got too much baggage from my past. I've, I've got too much stuff in my past. This thing happened to me as a kid, and it's, it's, it's affected my mind, and this has happened to me. And I understand those things very, very well. I don't want to delve into those things this morning, but I understand what it's like to feel hurts and pains and failures. We've all experienced it. But hear me. For me personally this morning, I'll tell you, if I don't succeed in my ministry and in my future, if I cannot blame my past. Because once I go through the water, once I go through the water, I can't point back and say, well, my past has done this and this has hurt this. And those things are hurtful and, and stuff. But hear me, what we have got to do is not just acknowledge that we've been delivered out of Egypt in, in our bodies, but we need to renew our minds and realize, hey, I am no longer bound by sin and failure. I don't have to. I can't blame anything. I can't. Uh, you can't blame anything on your broken home. And I know those things are going to affect you. And you can't blame anything on the abuse. Once you have been through the water, you have become a new creature. You can't blame anything on your future either. You know why you can't? Because he's made every available way for you to succeed in your tomorrow. Because he gave us scriptures like, uh, this is the day that the Lord hath made. We use that a lot because that's a very valuable scripture. Or his mercies are made new every day. So when you get up tomorrow and you fail, it's not a license for you to go out and fail, but it's reassurance to know that if I fail tomorrow, 
that the blood of Jesus wasn't just for my past and my present. It's for my tomorrow when I fall. Micah said it. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemies, for when I fall. He he wasn't speaking the faith that he was going to fall. He just knew and understood the flesh and he understood the carnal mindset that there are going to be times when I fall. And I'm thankful to know this morning that the only joy that the devil has is temporary because he said, when I fall, rejoice not against me, for when I fall, there's going to be a resurrection And I'm thankful this morning that I have the strength to get up when I fall. You don't have to live like that every time you fail. I I, I know when I was a kid, and and this, there has to be a balance of fear. You got to have fear. When I was a kid, it wasn't dad's fault, it wasn't mom's fault, but I had this thought that every time I sinned, I couldn't go to bed. I was fearful, and I would lay it up at night if I lied or something like that. Uh, if I, what, whatever I did, uh, I'm not even going to admit to anything this morning, but whatever I did, it's different having dad here this morning because I've tried, I tried to be honest behind the podium, but I, I don't want to even divulge in any of that stuff. He, 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 never mind. So, when I'd go to bed at night, I'd lay in bed at night and I'd tremble and I'd be, I'd scared to go to bed because I didn't want to go to hell. And I understand, the good thing is, is it kept me from a lot of things. And, and, and we got to have balance. Unfortunately, some of that's gone. People, some people don't have any fear of hell anymore. And that is a real place. And there are people that's in the church that unfortunately are going to go to hell. Scripture says that they're going to be two in the bed and one taken, one left. Going to be two in the field working, one left and one that's talking about the church. Sadly, it's a sad reality that there are people really going to go to hell. And we should have a healthy fear of failure in hell. But on the other side of that, we can't lay around all the time depressed like Samuel did when he failed, when he anointed David or Saul, and Saul failed, so he he laid around depressed and broken because he felt like a failure and he couldn't go forward. The sad reality was if he laid there and died, David wouldn't have been anointed. So what we have got to do is get past the fear of failure. Now, uh, here's where I'm going to get a little mean, okay? So I, I, it's all right. Uh, I'm just going to get a little mean. The sad, there's a, there's a spirit of self-righteous spirit that is in Christianity all over the place because they point, they point at everybody else when everybody else visibly fails, but they got failures that are hidden. I hate that judgmental spirit and what it does the people that judge people and sit around and criticize people and have bitterness against their brother and sister, what they do is when they don't forgive and they 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 treat people bad or 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 or, or uh, just treat them like they're the plague. What they do is they hinder their growth. What we really need to do is when we see a fault in our brother and sister is do everything in our power to make them succeed and hold them up and encourage them to do better. Sometimes that means going to them and saying, look, 
I, 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 I have this, this, this problem and I, I, I need to forgive you. You know, it'll help both of y'all. I've seen it in the church. I've seen where people, young people fail. I've seen it with, especially young ladies throughout the years. They, they, you know, get pregnant before they get married. And the old school church will make them sit five years and, and treat them like the plague. And, and, and because they failed and that person sits on a pew, that young lady or young man that fails. And if, if we're not, and I understand that there's got to be some, they, they, they got to answer for their own problems. And believe me, they do. Mentally, they beat themselves up and feel inadequate. Uh, and it's hard enough because the devil points their finger at people that fail enough that they don't need a person, uh, a fellow brother or sister to stand over them and go, you know what? You need to make things right. You need to sit here and you need to make things uh, right to the church. And, 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 and it, what it does, it keeps that person from growing. It robs them of their confidence. And I've seen people that had ministries. It, uh, some of them come out of it, but some of them don't. Some of them don't. I've got friends that are backslidden. I got one friend that he was preaching before I was preaching. And I was proud of him. But there would come a time where he failed and his dad, his mom, and the whole church, they, they just continually, he, he, they, he felt so much, con, uh, not just conviction, but condemnation. Where to, he got to the point where he said, you know what? Everybody's pointing their finger at me, calling me a failure. I might as well just be a failure for life. Now he's not in church, and you can't talk to him about being in church. I wonder what would have happened if when he did fail, that he had not only the rod of correction, but he had somebody embrace him after his failure. He, he would be, chances are he'd be in the church today. But we keep people from growing a lot of times because we don't forgive us. And I pray to God that I'm, I never have to stand before the throne of, room of God and God look at me and say, you know what? You're the reason that, that person didn't, didn't make it to heaven. Your attitude towards that person, your, 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 what you said and how you treated that person kept them from coming back to church. And I pray to God that I'm never, ever in that position. i, I got to get back to where I was going, okay? That, that was, that, that's a whole different message. Let me, hopefully I can come back. Peter had people like this in mind, people that refused to grow. When he said... But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A growing Christian should move beyond the initial conversion experience through a process of advancement into spiritual maturity. That comes with, with good leadership, helping people. When people come into the church, we understand these, these people that come into church when they're newly uh, uh, baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. These are babies. No, it's not a slam. These are babies in, in Christ. So what we do is we've got to have patience. You, 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 you all have kids. It's like my son, Tyler. I can't remember. He was like three years old. One time I, I came in. and He's three. He, he should have known better. He did know better. 
But I treated him different than I'd have treated him when he was 12 years old. I walked in the back, couldn't find him anywhere. And I knew something was wrong because he got real quiet. He's not, he's never really quiet. Finally, I, I swung up the bathroom door and he was in there. And there was a little nightlight in the bathroom and he was in there. And he had a Nestle uh, box of, of powder. It was about a gallon of Nestle quick chocolate powder. And he was eating it by the fistfuls. He was in his diaper, and he had, he even he had it caked in his belly button. He he had it everywhere, mad in his eyebrows and his hair. I mean, he he was baptized in that chocolate. And I opened the door. I said, "What are you doing?" First thing he said was, "This is your fault." So what do you mean it's my fault? And I'm I'm trying not to laugh. You all parents know what I'm talking about. Are you, you part of you mad? That's when you get bipolar. Part of you is really mad. Part of you try not to laugh. I said, what do you think you're doing? He goes, this is your fault. I said, why is it my fault? He said, because you never told me not to do it. I said, you have a point. I'm telling you not to do that. Now, if he was 12 or 13 years old, we'd had a different, we'd, we'd had a, man, I wouldn't put it past him. He's 11. He still loves chocolate. He would probably still go in the bathroom and eat, eat that chocolate. But he was three years old, and I would treat him different. He was a kid. And that's the way people, you know, we have to treat people when they come into church. We realize that some of them don't know any better. I've had people come to me and say, why don't you deal with that situation a little different? Why don't you do these people? The, I'm talking about people that have been in the world that have known nothing but abuse, whether it's physical, m- mental or, or, or uh, sexual all their life. All they've known is broken homes, molesting, uh, abuse, drug, alcohol, abuse, things that some of us would just cringe to know. And when they come in the church for the first five or six years of their life, they're going to do dumb things and they're going to act silly and they're going to go outside the church and they're not going to dress the best. And they're going to look inappropriate and they're going to do inappropriate things. But we as the church got to give these people room to grow. I wonder how many, how many people would be in our doors, in our church, and fill the pews if, if the church would have said, you know what, we're going to have as much patience as Jesus had. Oh, that's the best thing I've said all morning. Probably the best thing I'll say all day. If we had as much love and compassion as Jesus has, the church possibly would be full. Say, well... This is what the Word of God says. Let me ask you a question. How many hidden sins and failures and things in your life can be hid that you've done, that Jesus loves you and anointed you to do what you do despite of your ignorance? We don't want to talk about those things, though. But, but talking about growing in church, people in church. But since, since we're past that now, let's talk about your own spiritual uh, what you've got to do. The Bible says, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. It also says, To whom much is given, much is required. And so, 
When I we, we understand truth, we're responsible for that. So now I'm going to talk about me as a person, about growing in church. There comes a time in one's life, just like your kids, you have to say, you got to grow up. You got to, I was going to say something, you got to put your big boy clothes on, your big girl clothes on, and just grow up. You ever, no, one, 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 listen, one characteristics of a, one characteristic of a uh, thing of that I'm trying to speak, sorry. You know, my, I think my sugar's messing up on me this morning because I'm, room's closing in on me. I need somebody to go to my office and get me a juice. Um, one characteristic that a kid has, and that is, it seems that most of them continually get their feelings hurt. Especially when you say no. You can tell a mature person how mature they are when you tell them no. In the physical. And you can tell somebody that is mature in the spirit when sometimes they have to receive correction or rebuke. And I understand that there is a right way and a wrong way to deal with people and rebuke people. You don't want to rebuke people openly. There's, and correct people openly. I don't, I, I don't do that. I, I, I try very hard not to do that. Sometimes there's, there, there, it is right to openly rebuke. You know what? If we did things the way the church we, we, that, that Jesus said in his word, thank you so much. If we did things the way the Bible said, we would, man, I'm wondering how many people would be in the church. The Bible says if you find a fault with your brother, you go to him. If he doesn't change, he or she doesn't change, you take a person with them, with you and, and, and broach them, broach the situation with that same. If they don't change, you call for the elders of the church. If they don't change again, the Bible says you wash your hands. You how, how, how often have you seen that happen? But now we, it seems like we have to baby people because... It's got that got to do with this Me Too movement and this snowflake movement that you have to uh, walk on eggshells around people. But there comes a time in one's life where you have to just take responsibility for yourself and your own actions and grow up. Can't blame the preacher. You can't blame your wife. You can't blame your husband. You can't blame your kids. Because once you can, people continue to pass the blame, what it, it just goes, it's an ongoing process. They'll blame you, you blame them. And there's, there's never going to be any growth when you don't accept responsibility for your own actions. And that is when it comes, you, you, that, that's where honesty comes. You can't be honest with God until you're honest with yourself. What we do is when we have we, we have things in our life we have to deal with, we, what we start doing is we start we start justifying our own actions and our own thoughts. But when you start measuring 
your thoughts and your actions according to the Word of God. All of a sudden, the Word of God is light. It starts shedding uh, a light on the things and illuminating things that you have in your life. Prayer and the Word of God illuminates those things. That's why a lot of people don't pray, by the way. And that's why a lot of people won't read their Bible is because they feel conviction. So they push those things away. But once a person starts taking responsibility for their own selves, their actions, and their feelings, then and then only can they grow. Growth involves adjustment. It means change. To grow in the church, we must grow in Christ. His grace was bestowed. He, so we, do, we can't blame anything else on, on the devil, on the people around us, on the church. We can't blame our parents. What we have got to do is take responsibility because we have grace and we've got mercy at our feet. It's become new every day. It was because of his grace that we obtained forgiveness and received spirit, his spirit. And the faster we learn that God's way is more is better than our way, the better off we will be. One girl who became a Christian while studying at a, relig- at a religious college said, she said, I started out studying the life of Jesus Christ to find out what he was about and who he was. And she said, the more I studied about Jesus to find out who he was, she said, what really happened was she said, I found out who I really was. Because the closer she got to light, the more she found out that she needed to really change and she needed to be like Jesus. It's good that we want to be like your, we got favorite preachers. We got good people in our life, granddads and fathers and great preachers. It's good to, to look at those people and, and, and try to be like those people. But hear me, the one that you really should be looking to is Jesus Christ. Because the more we seek God and submit to Him, the more we will understand our strengths and our weaknesses. And revelation will give direction to change. The more I seek Him, the more I find Him. The more you seek Him, the more you realize, hey, my righteousness is as filthy rags, and I need Jesus more than anything in my life. People that will not change, that remain who, uh, the way they are, are people that have stopped seeking Jesus. People that stop seeking Jesus are people that stop growing. Prerequisites for growth. Christian growth is not an automatic thing. We don't develop spiritual character by chance. We don't develop spiritual character by stopping. We don't ex- uh, experience Christian character by just doing nothing. There's got to be a daily walk. It comes by intentional effort. We must wholeheartedly give ourselves to activities to promote God's will in our life. Number one, one pre- prerequisite is this, have a teachable spirit. Brother uh, T.W. Barnes, any, everybody know that name? T.W. Barnes, Prophet Barnes, powerful man of God. Men like Jason Sisko, uh, Lee Stone King, uh, this endless, uh, endless great men of God. Uh, Brother Jeff Arnold, Brother uh, Anthony Mangan, G.A. Mangan, people 
T.F. Tenney, T.F. Tenney looked to T.W. Barnes for, for guidance. And, and he was a prophet in people's life. He was a powerful man of God. He wasn't the greatest orator in the world. When you heard him preach, you didn't go sit back and go, wow. But he had a, a, an open ear to the throne room of God. Hear me. As great as a man as he was, at almost nine, I think he was 90, almost 90 years old when he died. When he died, he still had men of God in his life. At 90, almost 90 years old, he had men of God in his life that was able to look into his life and say, you're wrong, Elder. He had Kenneth Reeves. Matter of fact, they were both, they both answered to each other. Kenneth Reeves has been to this church to preach. He was, he's a powerful man of God, written many books. Kenneth Reeves, if you've never read, read any Kenneth Reeves books, you real, you need to read and, 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 and get to know some of his books. Powerful. And those, both of those men of God had, they answered to each other. And the reason why is because they both had an understanding that it didn't matter how old you get. You need a man of God or a voice of God in your life. When I say man, also a lady. Bible said, talked about the holy women of old teaching our young ladies. You've got to have voices in your life. I've got people in my life that I look to. I've, I've got a father in my life. But there's some things, because he is my father, there's some things maybe he may not understand on a friend level. And I've got even men in, in, in my life in this church that I'm their pastor. But there's come, there comes a time when I go to them and I ask them, what do, you, what do you think about? Is my spirit wrong? Am I wrong in this area? Is my attitude wrong? Hear me. If you continually have those, I'm not talking about being unsure about yourself and your call and about God. But if you continually look at yourself and say, you know what? There's a chance that I'm possibly wrong. And when you have a spirit of submission and saying, I want to be right. I'm not going to make... Uh, irrational decisions in this moment. I've got to seek the right answer because we are flawed in our human nature. And sometimes our feelings get the best of us. And when we you go by feelings, chances are we make the wrong decisions. Jacob and Esau was proof of that when they go to their dad. His dad, he's up in age. He's, he's, he's a patriarch. I know his name, my name. Come on, what is his name? Isaac goes to his dad, yeah. And his dad says, well, you, you feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. When you walked in here, I, I knew your voice. There was a certain smell. There was a certain aura about you. But you feel like, you don't feel like Jacob. You, you feel like Esau. And he makes the sad a sad mistake by giving his son's birthright away to the wrong person, simply going by a feeling. How many people you know have made mistakes, life-altering mistakes, simply by a feeling? I'm mad. And I'm hurt. Justifiably or not, I'm changing churches. 
I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm mad. Why? why? Well, I don't, I, I don't feel like it. I don't feel this way, or I'm, I'm upset, or I'm sad, or I'm depressed. I, I don't feel welcome, or I don't feel this, or feel that. See, we're not supposed to base our walk with God by feelings. I don't get my faith from a feeling. I shouldn't base my decisions by feeling. And sadly, there are people that make life-altering decisions by feelings. Billy Cole, there was a, uh, uh, looking at my time, Billy Cole, he said he had gotten so depressed, six weeks he, he was in the house, bed, he was just so depressed. Uh, some people come against him and his family and, 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 and hurt him and said some really awful things and he got so down. His wife had been sick and been in the hospital and she almost died and he was so down and he called a friend, Billy Cole. This is the guy that preached a 30 minute sermon and had about 40 or 50,000 people receive the Holy Ghost. Billy Cole, the powerful man of God that he was. Even he had pastor, by the way, and he had men and women in his life that helped him speak in his life. Billy Cole, he called a man. It's, it's on YouTube. You can, I've listened to this over and over. He called him. He said, I'm hurt. I'm angry and I'm depressed. He said, I haven't failed. I haven't hurt, been, uh, failed, more, uh, failed morally. He said, I haven't robbed any banks. He said, I haven't done anything wrong. He said, but I'm in trouble. See, a man or woman that can abs- recognize that and verbalize that is a man or woman of God that I would, I would listen to. Say, and he, he, called, he said, look, He said, my life is in your hands. He said, simply because I am so intoxicated with, with, with my own, own feelings, he said, I'm not, I'm not sound minded enough right now to make my own decisions. He said, I'm putting my life into your hands. Whatever you say to do, I'll do it. You say, well, that's ridiculous. No, he, he was getting ready to, he, he would have just given up and died. So the guy said, you know what? I'll tell you what, what I want you to do. He said, you need to rest. He said, I don't want you going anywhere. He said, I don't want you doing anything. He said, I want you to, I, he said, I just want you to rest. He said, and I needed to rest. He said, I did that. He said, a few weeks went by. He said, I was rested up. He said, he called me. He said, Billy, he said, I want you to come to Ohio. He said, I want you to preach this, this service for me. He said, I'm not doing it. He said, why? He said, cause I don't feel like doing it and I don't want to do it. He said, I'm telling you, he said, you called me, Billy. He said, you put your life into my hands. He said, I'm telling you to get in your car and drive here. <laughs> this is Billy Cole. He said, you're going to preach. He said, it's the will of God that you come here. He said, okay, I'll do it. He said, I got in my car in 250, 300 miles. He said, I drove. He said, I cried all the way there. I didn't want to do it. He said, I got there. He didn't, I didn't feel God. There's you go. There's the feelings again. I didn't feel God. He said, I didn't feel like being there. I didn't want to be there. He said, I got there. He said, and I got, he said, I was so unsure. He said, I was nervous. He said, that man of God walked up and said, it is the will of God for you to be here. Go preach. He said, I stepped behind the podium. He said, it is the will of God for me to be here. He said, I didn't feel God. He said, I didn't want to be here. He said, I preached for about 20 minutes. He said, I think it was 120 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He didn't feel God. didn't want to be there. 
He said, I got in my car. He said, this is the odd part. He said, I got in my car. He said, I was still depressed. He said, I cried all the way home. But he said, I submitted myself to the man of God in my life. He said, and he got him through the feelings of failure and hurt and pain. He said, and I come out of it. He said, better than I ever was in my life. My point is this, that if you don't have a spirit of submission in your life, I, I, I'm not trying to tell you that I, I, your pastor, me, has to lord over your life, but we all have to have it. As long as it's through the Word of God. A lot of people submit and are taught by the wrong voice simply because they don't know the truth themselves. But if, you're, if, if the Word of God is contradictive to the man or woman of, so-called man or woman of God in your life, you need to disconnect yourself to that person. And find a man or woman of God that preaches this. That's why we have to, every one of us have to study to show ourselves approved. That's why it's important to read. I'm not here to put anybody down or any, anything. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to tell you a fact. I've had Catholic people come and tell me. If there's any Catholic people in here, please, I'm not here to offend anybody. But the Catholic, when you go to church, uh, it's, it's the priest's job to tell you the word of God, what the Word of God says. And uh, even back in the day, they threw all the Bibles away because it was only the priest's job to teach you and tell you. And a lot of people in, this, in, our, in our churches today and some here today that were Catholic that came here and they, they had to find out the truth for themselves. But it, it, the first, first prerequisite to growing is having a teachable spirit. Prerequisite. Uh, real quick, and I, I'm coming to a close here. There's another prerequisite to growing in Jesus, and that is having a sincere desire to grow. Sadly, I've seen people go through storms, and pain, have tribulation and hurt in their life. We all have. We've all been hurt. And they simply lose their desire to grow spiritually. Basic to our personal growth is the intensity of our desire. The more of God that you want, the stronger you will grow. It's a sad thing. I see a lot of of new converts come into the church and they're strong. They worship a lot. You see them. They're very... uh, demonstrative in their worship. They're, they go out. I mean, you can't go anywhere with a new convert without them sharing what Jesus done for them. They're excited about it. They're, 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 they're still fresh in their life. And it's sad. The longer some people are in church, the less, less excited that they are about God. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that we, we, we stop growing or stop becoming excited. What, what happens is we lose our desire. There's more to God than what you have found in Him. I don't care if you've been in church for 60 or 70 or 80 years. There's more of Him. And if you feel depleted or feel broken down or you feel washed up, 
you feel like you're not doing any, going to go anywhere or your ministry's just it's stopped. I'll tell you, let me just tell you, simply, you have lost your desire. The more I seek Him, the more I find Him. I mean, you can't go anywhere that God's not. Let me ask you a question. Have you physically been everywhere in the world? Any, any uh, military guys in here, ladies? I know, I, I know, Brother Jack, you've been a lot of places. You've been a lot of places in the world on that boat. Brother Dean, you've been a lot of places in the world. I know Brother Floyd, he's been everywhere. What's that? Johnny Cash had a song, I've Been Everywhere. Maybe we get the praise team to sing that song sometime. So if you haven't been everywhere, the fact is that he is everywhere at any given point. Matter of fact, David said, if I make my bed in hell, there I am. He wasn't saying if I went to hell, if I died and went to hell, there I am. What he was saying is that hell is the very depth of despair of everything. And if, I, if I'm at the very bottom, he's there. And the fact is, my, my, my point is that if you haven't been everywhere and you don't know everything, you're, that, that's, that's how big God is. He's outside of it all. And if you go to the outskirts of our Milky Way, he's beyond that. And if you, if you think for one moment that you know as much about God as there is, then you have been lied to. He is beyond everything. So that tells me that regardless how great our revival is going to be next week, there are services in our future that are going to be greater than that. We get bored coming to church sometimes. It's simply because we get locked in our traditions. It's simply because we've lost our desire to go beyond that. What we ought to do is have an anticipation to go beyond that. We think, oh, we found all of God. That's all there is. We're just going to come and we're going to have our hour and a half of time with Jesus. And we're going to. That's why Brother Krause stands up here and makes you or tries to get you and urge you to worship God and help you understand that the more you seek him and the greater your desire, the more presence of God you will find. That's why I said that he didn't just come to give us life, but he came to give us life more abundantly. And the more I look to him and the more I seek him, the more I find him. That's, that's, what gave, that's what gave Peter the power to say, look, when you, when you kill me, hang me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. That's what gave Paul the, 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 the ability and the guts and the gall to run to a chopping block. That's what gave those men of God to say, you know what? You can kill me or whatever because I know that his presence is beyond my life. And my desire is greater than my fears of everything else. So desire is, is a must. Here's one. This is not a good one to close on. So I won't close on this. But I'm, 
Self-denial. Self-denial. If any man will come after me and let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Psychologists agree that humans are egocentric by nature. They are self-centered, self-pleasing in disposition. We cannot grow as Christians until we learn to deny ourselves. Jesus not only came and became the example and or died for us for our sins, but he was the example when he said these words in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done. He became the perfect example, not only in fulfilling the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection, but also becoming the perfect example of somebody saying, look, I want to live too. Jesus, in his man's nature, he wanted a life. Say, well, he, he, he wanted to die. You think, no, that prayer when he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. In other words, it was the will of the Spirit, it was the will of the Father for him to die. But the flesh part of him said, look, I want to be like everybody else. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to to have uh, people hurt me. I don't want to to do all the, uh, you know, die on a cross. But he put himself under the subjection of the Spirit. And that is what we have got to do and have the mentalities and not my will, but thine be done. Then he can expand. Then he can expand. That's probably the one I need to spend more time on. We exercise self-control to live by principle rather than by appetite. That's what fasting's about. It's not just not eating to 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 punish ourselves and and and, and make ourselves uh, miserable. What it is is when we deny our flesh. We can crucify our flesh. It gives us the ability uh, to, to grow. Sometimes God puts people in our lives to help crucify us. Brother Scott Graham told me it was probably the most amazing thing I've ever heard anybody, any, any uh, a teachable moment, instruction. He said one of his good friends was, was in, in the pastor of the church. Great, he's a very well-known man. His name's irrelevant. He's a very powerful man of God. He said some lady came into his church office. And she, she was unhappy about the church and things going on. Like, that's always the case. Somebody's always unhappy. Hear me, when you got 60, 70, 80, 100 plus people, there's always going to be a thousand, you know, a thousand different opinions. Nobody's, not everybody can be happy. Not everybody can like the lights or the walls or whatever. Not everybody. As long as we have the gospel in common. The lady came into his office. She was mad. She was giving him what for, screaming at him, pointing his finger, her finger in his face. I don't ever recommend that, by the way. I mean, if you ever want to come to me and yell at me, just do it with a smile and tell me you love me with it's not a really good thing. But anyway, she came in there. She thought she knew more than him. And every, I mean, she had been starting trouble, starting problems in the church, causing discord. Uh, just, just, she was a Jezebel. But 
And she, she was wrong in, in her action. So she came, comes to his office and she's yelling at him. And every time he gets ready to pick up his hand and tell her off because he had every right to, God smacked his hand down and said, shut up. Man, and she got worse. She started screaming, yelling, calling him every name in the book except cuss words. I mean, it was bad. And he said, I wanted to, he said, I got ready to pick my finger up again. God spoke to him and said, I said, shut up. Three times it happened. Three times. And it continually got worse. And finally, she screamed at some of the worst things she ever, and she walked out of the door and she slams the door. And he, he said, I was so angry. He said, here I am. He said, I'm the pastor. I'm the one that's in authority here. I'm the one. I'm her pastor. And she's screaming at me. He said, and he got down on his knees. He said, why did you let that happen? And he said, God spoke to me. He said, if I've ever had God speak to me, he said, he spoke to me that day. He said, because it's the will of God for you to crucify your flesh. He said, you can crucify one hand. And your and your feet, he said, but you can't crucify the other hand. He said, so I send people in your life to finish the job. And sometimes you have to have people in your life and you feel denied, you feel broken. But if you utilize self-control and you let God fight your battles God can not only change, will only change you, change your situation, or the person that hurts you. Sometimes, and that comes with self-denial. Forsaking all, that mentality. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Doesn't mean walk away from your cars. That doesn't mean sell your house. It doesn't mean give everything away. But what it does mean is not for us to put anything above God. And if God ever does tell you to walk away from something, then you've got to be willing to do it. Christ taught that a person who followed him had to renounce all claims of possessions instead of stressing the importance on accumulating more uh, of, uh, for our enjoyment. He emphasized transferring ownership of all we possess to him, not putting anything in front of God. Some people point their finger and say, well, uh, you, you've, you've made uh, Michael Jordan a God. You've made LeBron James a God. You've made Tom Brady a God. The same people who do that, will, will, they make their... Uh, their guns, their God. They make their cars, their God. A few years ago, I had a, a '92 LeSabre. It was it was my favorite car. I couldn't go anywhere without that car. I love that car, and God taught me a lesson. My son wrecked it. He took it away from me. My blue. Everybody remember that blue, ninety-two Lesaber. See, I made it a god, and God took it away from me. It was all right though. The ball joints were worn out. The tires were worn out. The air conditioner didn't work. The heater hardly didn't work. And thank God He took it from me. But some things we've got to be willing to walk away from. I know I'm joking about that, but it is true. 
Some people put everything, all their love and, and hope into everything, and they make that their God. And that, therefore, they can't grow in Jesus because they separate themselves from his presence. Amen? Let's stand. Last one. Steadfastness. One prerequisite to spiritual growth is steadfastness. Christ spoke of this to the Jews who believed on him. He said, if you continue, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. The Amplified Bible translates the phrase continue in my, in my word. Hold fast to my teachings. Don't change what you preach. Don't change what you preach. Some people, so I've heard, I've heard, and this is another message for another time. But some people say, well, if it was true 40 years ago, it's true now. Well, you better be careful what you buy into truth, because some things weren't truth 40 years ago that you, you did 40 years ago. It better be by the Word of God. But when you know something's right, don't change it. Don't quit. One of the best advice... Some of the best advice Pastor Robertson told me, he said, look, he said, be careful what you preach and if it, when it lines up with the Word of God. He said, if it lines up with the Word of God, don't change it. He said, don't make something up and preach your own convictions like it's the Word of God. He said, because one day you may change. He said, and then you'll feel really dumb. But make sure what you do adds up to the Word of God. Be steadfast. Don't quit. Don't stop. And that's one thing that, that we've got to do. We, we want to grow. We've got to be steadfast. Oh, there was one more, excuse me, and, and last but not least. Walking in the Spirit. Fifth prerequisite of Christian growth is walking in the Spirit. Paul said, walk ye in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we have to be walking in the Spirit. That comes with the continued relationship with Jesus Christ. Every day. Amen. Come tonight expecting the Lord to do great things. I'm asking every available man. I'm putting every man in here this morning on the spot. I need you in the prayer room at 530. I know the ushers, they're going to be up here, but if you're, it, please come at 530. God is going to do great things tonight. Ladies, I know you're always in that prayer room, and I'm asking uh us to go before the Lord in prayer. Please keep this revival next week in, in our minds. And let's pray about that. And the Lord is going to do great things. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. Bless you in Jesus' name. You're dismissed. Shake somebody's hand.